Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Cut Zubine for March 27th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And tonight on the show, um, Kim's a little bit under the weather, so he won't be on with us tonight, but we had intended to have this gentleman as a guest and now he's going to be a guest host, staying the entire hour with us. Uh, welcome back to the Cozy Vine, J.J. Ames. Hey, thank you, David. Thank you, Catherine. Always glad to be here. And greetings from uh, beautiful downtown Norman, Oklahoma. Yes, sir. Well, let's kind of start there. The last time you were on with us, you were in D.C. I mean, if people don't know your background, you've been a speechwriter for um, – you know, the Biden administration, Kamala Harris during the campaign, uh, probably more names than I can even recount. Um, and now you're in Oklahoma. Just tell us about that transition. Well, you know, um, I had a, a number of teaching opportunities, which was really what I wanted to uh, to move away from D.C. into teaching. I had a couple of opportunities in Florida. It didn't take real long to cancel cancel those out. And and then had uh, one in uh, Arizona, one in uh, California, and then the Oklahoma uh, situation came up, and and I uh, uh, not only did I talk to a former professor from Oklahoma about it, but also uh, just relied on uh, you know what I like to refer to as following the floor lighting. You know, if you're in an airplane and you know there's a problem, the floor lights up and it takes you to a safe place. And so, and, and I, I ended up making the decision that. You know, OU was was the place for me, and I got here and you know, just fell in love with it. So I mean, it's a beautiful campus, uh, incredible university, great academic support, and uh, so far the first full year has been uh, pretty amazing. So I'm I'm, I'm happy to be uh, I won't say indoctrinating young minds, but, but I'm, I'm happy to be <laughs> but I'm I'm happy to be sharing with uh, with freshmen. Uh, you know, the sum and, the sum and substance of my 30 years of DC experience. Yes. Well, now let's talk about Oklahoma in that it is kind of an engaging um, state uh, politically, even though it's not very competitive. But let's kind of mention that it's a state that has Oklahoma City, Tulsa, both mm-hmm. in this you know large metropolitan areas. Then it has two college towns, Norman, which you just mentioned, Stillwater, and those usually lean a little more democratic than your average town if it didn't have a large college in it. So there's four different pools of, you know, more metropolitan type or college-educated leaning voters, but yet Oklahoma is a very Republican state. Um, since you've been there, kind of what makes up their current um, political, you know, constitution, if you will? Well, you know, there's, there's 105 members in the Oklahoma State Legislature, and uh, of those 105, despite the cities that you mentioned, uh, only 19 are Democrat, and so uh, unless you're uh, involved in city government in Oklahoma City or city government uh, in, uh, in in Norman, 
um, you know, you really don't have any any guarantees. And, and part of of what promotes that and prolongs that situation is the fact that that uh, they redistrict basically every cycle uh, in Oklahoma. And and should there be with a with a an 86 to 19 majority uh, in the, in the, the the house that writes the rule, in the, the you know the venue that writes the rules, um, you know, if they uh, if, if that organization starts to think that hey, well, next next cycle there could be 20 Democrats, and the next cycle there could be 21 Democrats, and the next cycle 22 Democrats, you know, they they take uh, painstaking steps to ensure that uh, the, the number never gets uh, gets above 19. Wow, that's very interesting. I mean, I've heard of some re-redistricting mid-cycle, you know, places like Texas did it. I think they did it once in Georgia. But so by right. by set policy, they do it every two years, and they re-redistrict the state lines. Custom and custom and practice. When, when, whenever the, the the state legislature, whenever the house determines. Uh, based on its own research that redistricting, redistricting is called for, uh, it, it's, it happens in Oklahoma. So that's, that, that's what kind of continues uh, to promote this disparity. Um, you know, and, and, and although I will say that uh, Oklahoma is going through uh, an interesting situation on the Republican side at the moment uh, where, where we have a, a governor, Kevin Stitt, who is uh, – um, in a, in, the, in a in a real world circumstance, should have been a co-conspirator in the COVID-related murder case of Herman Cain, uh, you know, to, during the course of the, the Tulsa rally, uh, where Herman uh, contracted COVID and, and, and ended up losing his life, unfortunately. Uh, you now have literally tens of millions of dollars uh, in a Republican primary being aimed directly uh, at Kevin Stitt. Claiming that he's uh, soft on crime, it, it, there's, there are a couple of Willie Horton on steroids ads that are going around right now, and, which basically uh, I'll, I'll, the thrust of these two ads are that uh, uh, Kevin Stitt uh, commuted sentences of murders, and in one particular case, the murderer then went out and and not only murdered a family, but took the bodies of the murdered people back to his home, cooked them. And was trying to force was trying to force his family, his own family, to share in eating the the, the dead the, the dead bodies of, the, of his victims. And when his family refused, he killed them and ate them too. And so, oh my God. And so, and, and so, you know, when those of us who are around long enough to remember Willie Horton, <laughs> I don't even think that Willie Horton that the architects of the Willie Horton ads. You know, would have uh, you know gone that far, but we we go that far these days, and and, and right now anyway, no one within the two groups that are running these ads, uh, no one's willing to uh, embark upon uh, any kind of a claim of, uh, uh, of 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 who the ads are on behalf of. There are two challengers, uh, Republican challengers, to stick right now, and um, oddly enough. One lists on his ballotpedia questionnaire that he receives 100% of his campaign advice from Jesus Christ, and the other uh, notes that she receives the substantial bulk of her campaign advice from Keanu Reeves. And so, so you, so okay. we're 
<laughs> so there there are aspects of things that are going on, and I haven't even gotten to the point of Scott Pruitt uh, getting ready to announce for one of the uh, one of the Senate, the Senate seats in Oklahoma, because like Georgia in the last cycle, uh, we have two Senate seats up uh, simultaneously at, at, at this time. So uh, the Senate is going to be at least interesting within the Republican side, and the governor's race is already interesting not only because of these Willie Horton-style ads, but the Democratic challenger uh, to Kevin Stitt uh, is going to be the current Republican state superintendent of education who has converted to becoming a Democrat because uh, she's obviously already won statewide office and and believes that uh, she can at least be reasonably reasonably competitive against against Stitt. But, you know, it's a – if we had – if we had one more ring here, we'd have a four-ring circus. So it's, uh, it's, that's kind of where things are. Yes, you've given us a lot just in the first uh, answer, too. Uh, I, that, that, that whole story with this, this person that the campaign ads are referring to, that sounds like some kind of uh, mini-series. Or I guess now it will be a streaming series that has ten parts or whatever and then goes a limited-run limited yeah. series, whatever they call it. Um, I'm going to pass it to Catherine to ask a few kind of maybe statewide questions about Oklahoma. Then it'll come back to me where we get into some of these races you've kind of previewed. Catherine? Hey, thank you. That was quite a quite an intro. Uh, you know, sometimes we think things are trouble. We're in trouble in uh, Georgia, but that is some <laughs> terrible uh, um, numbers on for the Democrats and Republicans. Or terrible for the Democrats. Which may, brings me to my first question. So with numbers like that in your um, legislature and, uh, and generally in elected officials, what kind of shape is your Democratic Party in? Well, you know, or is there one? That's really interesting from this. Um, there are some extraordinarily committed Democrats in Oklahoma. Um, they tend to understand that they're only going to end up being able to go so far. Um, so it, it really, I, I think the the long term future uh, is that uh, unless this this Republican civil war that is taking place in Oklahoma that everybody acknowledges, um, unless that really picks up steam, uh, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's, it, it will take a, a long while. Or it will never really happen. I don't. I, I certainly was amazed at uh, Georgia becoming uh, legitimately purple. Uh, I, I think we're a long, long way from that in, uh, in in Oklahoma. Now that's that's not to say that there aren't you know committed Democrats uh, because there there are. But when you have on the, for example, in the Norman city elections, which took place. About a month ago, uh, you actually had two candidates vying for the Republican nomination for mayor of Norman trying to, to outdo one another in, in terms of who, did, who, who was more involved in the January 6th insurrection. Both of them <laughs> were there. Both of them were there, and, and it became a badge of honor that they were both there. So you, you have to ask yourself, I mean, if – if the if the issue is not roads and bridges, if the issue is not snow removal, you know, if the issue isn't uh, you know city contracts or zoning, 
uh, if the only issue being addressed, you know, is hey, who, which of us did more at the insurrection? Uh, that that already tells you just about everything you need to know about local politics in Oklahoma. Well, that's uh, you know, I always talk a lot about uh, how important those local elections are and how they the impact that they have on our lives is uh, certainly a lot more important than we tend to realize. And uh, as voting uh, illustrates usually. So too bad that they can't focus on the things that are really important to uh, their citizens. Uh, What do you think the, the, you know, what does it look like for 2022? Or is there going to be any, any shifts in any of these things, either at the state level, local level, uh, at, at congressional levels, or is this is Oklahoma truly really red and not not really budging? I, I think at best, you know, um, Oklahoma probably ends up with the two representatives, two Democratic representatives. Um, although the greater likelihood is probably one um, on the Senate side, um, the one of the um, uh, one of the um, uh, candidates who has been sort of preordained, I guess, at, at least to this point, is uh, Imhoff's chief of staff, who uh, uh, Imhoff is who's retiring, and 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 so uh, even though there are I think seven candidates uh, in that race, <clears throat> uh, I, I think that 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 race is pretty much sewn up, and on the Langford side. Um, Langford kind of got a stick problem from the standpoint that, you know, there's no reason that he would have offended any Republicans uh, whatsoever under any circumstances. Um, you know, God knows, again, he's been just about as uh, as hardcore maggot as you can get, uh, but uh, not quite maggot enough for some of the folks in Oklahoma. <laughs> And, and that's that's resulted in you know a half a dozen challenges there too. Uh, the, the bottom line on the Senate side is, whichever two Republicans come out of the primary, you know, will end up in Washington, and 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 that's because I think Texas, you know, probably, and and very surprisingly, a little bit farther along than uh, than uh, Oklahoma, even Kansas, obviously, you know, farther along than Oklahoma in terms of being routinely competitive. Um, but um, you know, Oklahoma is uh, you know Oklahoma's Missouri on steroids at this stage of the game. So. Okay, well, I'm going to pass it back to David. I may have another question for you after he's sure. finished, but really appreciate it. Go ahead, David. Oh, no problem. Yes. Um, well, um, JJ, I wanted to ask you about a court case that came before the yeah. Supreme Court a few years ago, probably when you were still. In D.C., not in Oklahoma, but it seems like it would have made big news. It was actually a criminal case, or it was related to a criminal case, but it related to a um, treaty when they formed Oklahoma with Native Americans and how eastern wow. Oklahoma, in many ways, is its own state. Um, and and mm-hmm. I guess the theory was that you could have broken away eastern Oklahoma, made a 51st state. All that kind of thing. Neil Gorsuch even was one of the um, justices that sided with the interpretation that um, uh, that you couldn't apply um, American law to this tribal area because of this treaty. 
What's kind of been the repercussions of that? Because I haven't heard much about that case since it came out, and if uh, any more, you know, thoughts have been made on, you know, I guess essentially splitting Oklahoma. Yeah, there's there's been certainly discussion going that far down the road, but there are, oh, I, I guess multifaceted uh, sets of, of of negotiations that are going on right now to attempt to to resolve the issue because you know again right now you, it's it's almost a it's almost another Willie Horton situation you, you've got uh, you've got multitudes of crimes that uh, are being uh, uh, committed against uh, non-Native Americans by Native Americans and, and, and vice versa but happen happening to be on the uh, uh, on uh, the, this particular reservation, and you, you're, you're ending up with um, elements of prosecutorial discretion that are that are pleasing no no one, and so uh, you, it's it's almost become a uh, kind of a remember the Alamo or remember Pearl Harbor or whatever the 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 the, the hardcore rock and roll uh, you know Second Amendment types uh, you know are are routinely suggesting uh, if it doesn't get resolved they'll resolve it for us. Uh, and simultaneous to that, you've got the the Native American contingents saying, "Hey, look, you know, we've we've got the courts on our side, and, and you know, so we're, that's where we're going to place our trust and confidence at this stage." Okay. So it's a uh, it, it is a it is an ongoing circumstance that does play a substantial role in particular locations with, within Oklahoma, and and, I, and it's it's one that I don't see resolving itself. Anytime uh, soon, uh, certainly not given the, the current political divide within the Republican Party in Oklahoma, because the minute that a, an established politician takes a position either way, uh, there's ten million dollars worth, worth, worth of Willie Horton ads coming out. You know, so, yeah, I just found a, a, an interesting case that um, you know, and I don't know all the legal. Um, arguments, and I certainly don't know all the Native American history arguments, uh, but but it just seems kind of like it could possibly become something. Another um, issue sort of related um, that came around the time, and we have discussed this, I think at least more than once on the Kudzu Vine, um, is it kind of came to be that when the Trail of Tears happened, when the Native American Removal Act happened way back in the like 1830s, um, they uh, part of the um, arrangement when they moved the you know, uh, Cherokee Creek and Choctaw uh, tribes to um, um, Oklahoma is that they would get representation, probably in the form of a delegate, not a representative, but there's still some you know language of the treaty that had to they had to figure out that they would have to um, that those the tribes could um, have a delegate to the House of Representatives. Has any more discussions or moves been made to, um, you know, establish that? And I know the Choctaw Native American tribe has a lot of roots in, um, still in Mississippi, but the Creek and the um, Cherokee Native Americans are mainly in um, Oklahoma now, not their ancestral homeland of, you know, Georgia and uh, North Carolina. Yeah, the, the long answer to your question, Dave, is no. <laughs> The, 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 there's, and I say that only because uh, to 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 really secure 
uh, any rights at all on, on behalf of, of Native Americans in Oklahoma, uh, it, it, it will never at this stage of the game happen uh, simply by virtue of something that takes place within the Oklahoma State Legislature. Uh, these are all going to be uh, federal cases, and, and, and they will, they'll take the same amount of time that, you know, that some federal cases do. I mean, New York versus New Jersey was in court for 74 years, and I think that, uh, that, that this is the same kind of case as well. Yeah, it just goes back to the, 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 the unfortunate notion that, you know, anything that comes up now, uh, involving an alteration to the so-called um, rights uh, of, of white Americans, white male Americans, uh, you know, is going to be looked at under the guise of uh, the, the most recent Pew Research study uh, suggesting that, uh, they, that we have moved the date upon which uh, will, the United States will become a majority-minority nation. We've moved that forward. Uh, it's not moving back. It's moving forward every time a new Pew study comes out. And and so I think that every time that new Pew study comes out and, and gun sales spike in, in, you know, 90% of the nation and uh, uh, white America, again, is reinforced with the notion that, uh, uh, that, that, that the white privilege and the white advantage is, is on the verge of being at least uh, modified, if, if not and ebbed or removed, uh, you know, then it's, you, you get these kinds of responses. So uh, I, I don't think that you're going to get anything uh, other than inherent protectionism uh, out of the people who really make all the rules in Oklahoma. Yes, I, I just found that interesting because if, if they decided to have representation and it wasn't just a delegate, it was truly a representative, <laughs> that would affect, um, you know, very likely Oklahoma and possibly the entire, you know, nation's, um, you know, number of representatives. I guess it would have to be carved out of what Oklahoma currently has in their population. Well, let's get into some sure. of the races in Oklahoma. And, Catherine, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, you, ask J.J. about one. But if you want to jump in with a different race um, after that, you can. And let's get into that governor's race you mentioned. Um, I noticed sure. that, uh, of course, you mentioned Joy Hoffmeyer, the current state um, superintendent of schools who was elected as a Republican right. is running as a Democrat had an incredible kickoff video I thought she really I mean I guess me being an educator I could relate to what she was saying in that video and then I know that Oklahoma's teacher pay is one of the worst in the nation um, the, the teachers really they featured how poorly teachers are paid there and so many teachers in Oklahoma in particular have second jobs just to pay bills um, right. What if she is popular with educators? She is, she is popular with maybe middle of the road voters that do vote a little more Republican than Democratic, but are just not, you know, turned off by the idea of voting Democratic. How well could she do in putting a, together a coalition? Well, it, it, it comes down to what is essentially a good news bad news situation. Uh, the good news is that she may not lose by forty nine points. Uh, bad news is she may still lose by 24 and a half. Um, you, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, there are, uh, and you know, a finite number of, uh, of, of Oklahomans who are going to make that leap. Uh, and, and yeah, educators will get in behind the campaign. Uh, 
to the extent that there are uh, middle of the rotors, middle of the rotors will get in behind the campaign. Uh, how many of the anti-stit forces will either stay home or say, "We'll, you know, we'll fix your wagon, Kevin." Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think the bottom line is when you start out in any statewide race with the prospect of a 50-point victory, uh, you got to make a ton of mistakes to even bring that down to where, uh, you know, it's, it's close. And, and I think she'll make it uh, – Joy will make it uh, substantially closer uh, than, than probably any Democrat. Uh, but – I still think that realistically speaking, and, you know, and having been a you know, campaign consultant for 30 years and I know you're in a, quite in a similar situation, you know, you, you, unless, you know, unless the, uh, about to padlock your front door, uh, you, know, you don't take a lot of, a, a lot of uh, clients who, uh, uh, you know, who you know going in, you're going to get your butt kicked. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of where, where Joy's at right now. I think, I think she's convinced a lot of uh, uh, a lot of financial types. She's convinced a lot of uh, campaign contributors and and anti-stit forces that uh, you know that she can be effective. Uh, there's a difference though between being effective and, and and being successful. And I think that she will do substantially better than than many uh, former Democratic gubernatorial candidates. Uh, but I I don't think she can win. Yes. Well, Catherine, did you want to jump in with any other uh, questions about Oklahoma races? Oh, I'd like to follow up on that race a little bit. Sure. Why do you think Why do you think she decided to switch parties instead of running against him in the primary? Well, that's been tossed around quite a little bit because she clearly – you know, burned that that Republican bridge behind her when she left. Uh, so I, there, there is a, to some extent, you know, there's there's a vacuum within the Democratic Party. Um, and again, you have to end up finding yourself in a in a location where you can win. Um, I, I'm still not convinced that she could win even statewide at uh, at a at a down ballot statewide race. Um, but perhaps she would like one day to be the mayor of Oklahoma City. Uh, perhaps uh, which which day if she came out of this race, you know, as a Democratic knight in shining armor, uh, made the race competitive, even though she didn't win. Um, all of a sudden, she's she's the mayor of Oklahoma City. Uh, so I think there, okay, are, there are other avenues. That was going to be my next question. Has she, you know, burned all her political bridges? But it sounds like. This might be a way of uh, of building a different bridge, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that she has certainly not only burned, but she, she has nuked every Republican bridge that you know that would get you from one side of the state to the other. But I think from the standpoint of uh, of the the Democratic Party, uh, I think she did probably see an opportunity, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to 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 create to build a new bridge. Uh, because the, the Democrats, this is like, I'm trying to think of a similar situation in a different state at a different time, but but this is a situation where, I mean, uh, and I'll, I'll throw it into a sports analogy because that's the easiest thing to do. 
Uh, you're a high school football team that uh, that that hasn't beat your crosstown rival, you know, in in a uh, in 95 years, uh, and you've you've never had a, a a game where you've lost by less than 70 points. Uh, all of a sudden, you 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 take a seven to six loss, uh, and 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 every member of that team, uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, is, is uh, they're, they're conquering heroes. They lost the game. Uh, but they're conquering heroes because they did better than anybody else. And so I think that, that Joy made a, probably a, a really conscious decision. You know, this isn't what I'm looking for. I know I can't have it, uh, but there are other opportunities that uh, may present themselves down the road. And if I can feather my own nest, essentially, uh, by performing admirably or reasonably uh, in this particular race, then, uh, you know, I've got some time. Yeah, well, and I, I think that's a really good point. It does, if, if she is able to uh, lose at a at a lower margin or a higher margin than or a lower margin than she than prior candidates, then she does. She might, you know, help rejuvenate the party. And if she's in it for the long haul, that could, you know, have uh, future ramifications beyond, you know, mayor of Oklahoma City or whatever. So uh, um, I I I'm always um, happy to see people who who will take those kind of risks because there's not a lot of people who will and sometimes you need that in order to you know rejuvenate a party or uh, give people hope for some kind of better progressive future. So well, props to her. Kind of, you know, there's an interesting kind of comparable. Uh, or potentially comparable circumstance, and that is that the the mayor of Norman, the current mayor of Norman, uh, Brea, Brea Clark, and remember Norman is is essentially the same size as South Bend, Indiana. So you're talking about uh, South Bend, Indiana was a springboard for Pete Buttigieg. Uh, you know, Brea Clark, uh, when she ran for mayor four years ago, she was endorsed by Michael Bloomberg, who who threw a ton of money uh, into her campaign. So Mike Bloomberg. Uh, sitting high in the uh, in the ivory tower in midtown Manhattan, uh, shows up and you know brings his entourage to to Norman, Oklahoma, uh, in order to say, hey, I personally, you know, Mike Bloomberg, I have identified the next big rising female star in the Democratic Party, and oh by the way, uh, she happens to be uh, from a, a town essentially the same size as uh, as that which uh, which spawned Pete Buttigieg, and and it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't four or five days after she won that election that the first recall petitions were were, were filed uh, because uh, and and the the and the theme of the recall petitions was essentially um, are we Oklahomans are we going to let that Jew from New York come in and tell us you know, who to run our, who we want, we want to run our, our you know our city and, and 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 I'm not exaggerating when I say that because th- those were the kinds of things. That were brought out. In, in fact, I'll, I'll go even even farther. Uh, my personal physician in in Norman is a great guy. He's a, he's a fantastic guy. Cares about his patients. Wonderful person. Wonderful human being. And just last week, I happened to be in his office, and he was telling me about a business consultant that he brought in to try to better his business. Uh, and th- this business consultant, he said, wants him to run. All of these different Google programs 
to try to uh, to enhance the, you know, the the quality and and level of his business. And he said, he said, you know, my only problem with that, he says, you know, Google's owned by them damn Jews. And and and, and he said, he said, and you know, and you know how they are with money. And so so it, it's not just. You know the the you know the, the pickup truck guy you know flying the you know the the, the stars and bars out the you know, out the back of his, his his pickup truck. It's professional people, and so so you you have to understand that. So in terms of of the opportunities, going back to to, to Joy, um, if she does perform well, and if she does become identified as the the, the newest, fastest rising young female star in the Democratic Party, at least in Oklahoma. Um, I'm not sure how long it'll take uh, for these same kinds of uh, of, of arguments against her uh, to rear to rear their ugly head. Uh, and I, I think we, it, it, she she made a calculated risk that there are probably going to be more advancement opportunities than there are. Uh, negative negative circumstances, and in, in the case of the negative circumstances, I'll be more than happy to run that risk. In, in the meantime, I think it's going to be very the, the runoff election for mayor uh, in Norman uh, is April 9th, and that's between uh, uh, Bray, Bray, Clark, Bray Clark, the current mayor, and the the, the successful Republican insurrectionist uh, Larry Heikkila whose only campaign ads uh, all say the same thing. They say, Larry supports the police and the fire department. Vote for Larry. Larry was at January 6th insurrection. Vote for Larry. So, um, you know, they, if, if Bray Clark is successful, and I expect that she probably will be, uh, then that's going to give some hope to Joy. But, um, you know, she, she's game-planned this thing out, obviously. Uh, but it's again pretty hard to game plan uh, in in Oklahoma when there are not only sufficient speed bumps on the road to success, uh, but when there are landmines that are you know covered up with January sixth posters. So yeah, well that's re- really uh, obviously a lot of uh, education would help. For some of these voters, it sounds like, and I'm going to take it back to David. Yes, um, Judge, I was going to ask about both your Senate races. You've got a situation where James Langford was up, you know, naturally, and he's getting opposition. I think you alluded to that earlier in the interview. And yeah. then also, Jim Inhofe is resigning effective January second, twenty twenty three. So. They can go ahead and hold a, uh, a special election, um, I guess, in time to where the governor then wouldn't appoint anyone. People can decide for themselves. Yeah. And there's just a slew of candidates for both races, including a former Democratic congresswoman who kind of won in a bit of an upset in 2018, Kendra Horn. Just kind of give us the lay of the land on both those Senate races. Yeah, I think, I think in, in Kendra's case, uh, it's a pretty ballsy move on her part. You know, to say I'm going to give up safety and security for you know something that that that, that, that may be possible. Uh, I think in the uh, in, in Imhoff's case, though, um, the 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 
the behind the scenes uh, scuttlebutt all seems to favor Emma's uh, former chief of staff, who was first to announce and has been doing nothing but uh, using uh, the balance of funds in in Emma's campaign account. Uh, to to, uh, to bankroll him and, and to move things uh, as far forward as he possibly can at this stage of the game. Um, I, I think Lankford is probably safe, uh, and that's I say probably because you know who does know uh, you know how far this this internal Republican civil war is going to go. I mean, I, I certainly love the smell of Republican civil wars in the morning, um, and I but I think that that. Uh, I think that in both of those races, assuming that Scott Pruitt does not formally enter, uh, because Scott Pruitt is for all that he has done and not done, uh, you know, 79% of the Republican Party in Oklahoma still is rock solid behind Donald Trump. And if Trump came to Oklahoma campaigning for Pruitt, um, I think he's just still a kingmaker here. So if if Pruitt enters the race, um, potentially different, different, different outcome. But the bottom line is that uh, I, I think that it's another one of those races where, um, you know, there's 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 hopes and dreams, but when you get uh, when you wake up, I, I think the same two people who are ahead in the polls now are going to be ahead in the polls in, in November. Yes. Well, that's going to be interesting to watch both of those races in the same year. Final um, uh, candidate I wanted to ask you about was um, about two years ago, I think I saw her uh, biography video where she's running and you know, obviously being on the television news, she understood how to work with the camera. Uh, Abby Broyles, I mean, she came up short, and, and you know, Oklahoma was just a tough state. She was going to run again. And then she had one of the more bizarre scandals I've ever heard of in um, uh, political history in which she, for some reason, was at a house where they were also having a preteen sleepover, and she apparently became a bit intoxicated and had an ugly scene with one of the preteen sleepover attendees. And this has pretty much just dismantled her campaign after all of this yeah. has come out. Um, this is what I know from you know five states away. What are people saying in Oklahoma about this very bizarre un- campaign unraveling? Dave, you pretty much nailed it head on. I mean, you were talking about a candidate who had a realistic chance, unlike you know, Joy. Um, who had a realistic chance of success, uh, and it's a it's a classic example of how not to handle a campaign crisis. Uh, what you may or may not know is that uh, when the event occurred, the evening that the event occurred, the position of the candidate was um, never happened, absolutely never happened. I defy anybody to produce evidence that this happened because never happened, all right? Never happened. And then within the span of about 18 to 24 hours, uh, substantial amounts of evidence were produced to show that it did happen, and then the, then, then the excuse became, 
Well, I didn't remember it happening because that's how drunk I was. So, so you you go from, you know, I I ran over the small child on purpose, to I really didn't mean to run over the small child, but I was drunk on my ass, and I couldn't help myself. So so it, obviously, there was not a lot of consultation that took place uh, between candidate and crisis manager. Uh, that's one of those circumstances where. In the very early, very early on in that process, you do everything possible to to get out and get ahead of it, uh, and then let whatever chips are left, you know, fall where they may. Uh, but she not only cost herself this race uh, by the manner the, the manner in which uh, you know she, she she responded to the original allegation, um, she's she's toast for for all time. At least in Oklahoma. So. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, we can talk about crisis management, but the way you manage this is just never be in this situation. Has it ever been found yes. out? Yes. How did she get in this situation? Because this does not seem like the normal spot that a non, you know, like unless you were a mother of one of the children, which I'm assuming she was not, you wouldn't even be there uh, to even it, then have the alcohol be an issue um how did she end up in this situation it was a it was a friend's situation there was a friend that was involved uh she got there and and i can't remember she was originally bringing pizzas or whatever or something along those lines but there was some uh political motivation where she was originally looking to use this as a prospective photo op um look at what i'm doing for these remarkable kids Oh, oh, P.S. Now I have to respond to all these, all these, these, these allegations. Um, you know, again, it, it, very, very poor planning on the candidate's part. Very, very poor planning uh, on the campaign staff part, uh, and and certainly indications of the complete and total absence of a crisis manager. Um, you know, it's just it, it's one of those circumstances where, um, and I'll give you a good example. Uh, a good friend of mine managed Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. And one night during the course of that primary campaign, uh, my friend got a call from a reporter who basically said, I'm letting you know as a courtesy that I have these facts regarding a situation uh, that occurred about four hours ago. And he called him, I think, at 3 in the morning or 2 in the morning. And he said, and I'm going to give you one opportunity and 90 minutes to respond before I go with what I already know. And that said, my friend said, where are you? He told him where he was. It happened to be somewhere in Tennessee. And so my friend said, I'll be there in however long it takes me to get there. They got there, and they sat, and he got there, they sat down. Uh, they hashed out a bunch of things. Promises were made about stories that would be released only to this particular reporter over the course of the next three months, six months, nine months, what have you. Uh, and a deal was cut uh, between a true legitimate crisis manager and a, uh, uh, and a and a reporter who understood that maybe he takes down Marco Rubio, maybe he doesn't, because in in, in that environment, Republicans are going to be a little bit less concerned about the kinds of things that were. Uh, that were discussed between the two men, uh, you know. But the bottom line is, 
that's what a crisis manager does. A crisis manager gets up and, and, and tells the, the, the reporter at the Sega game, look, what are you going to get out of this? What can I give you as an alternative uh, you know, to, to, to stop you from doing what it is that you say you intend to do? Uh, none of that happened in this case. This case was all about, you know, how can I possibly, uh, uh, you know, get my butt out of this, you know, this five-alarm fire and, uh, and without asking anybody for help. Yeah, just a just a bizarre situation that you don't see come up every day. Although, uh, on the course of the show, we've learned that it sounds like we have a lot of things that come up in Oklahoma that don't come up every day. Anyway. Um, well, let's go ahead and uh, we'll change gears off of Oklahoma, and then we'll just talk about some okay. uh, other political issues of the day. And, and the first one, I guess one of the big things that happened this week in politics was we finally had the confirmation hearings of um, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, and um, it was pretty surreal to watch because I guess typically we think a good portion of these um, hearings are going to be kind of like a job interview where you learn about conf- you learn about somebody's qualifications. Instead, we got the most strange set of questions from some of the questioners that really only were doing performance uh, for the camera. Uh, Catherine, what were some of your thoughts on what you saw? Well, thankfully, I I was working and I wasn't able to watch it. I did um, see a li- some clips and heard some reporting and read about it so I I feel pretty well informed but I did not watch any of it um it was embarrassing uh the questions that some of these republicans were asking and I have to like like just really um credit judge the judge for like incredible poise (laughs) and uh ability to, you know, sit there and listen to all these ridiculous questions, uh, challenging everything from her, you know, her gender to her, uh, you know, obviously some ridiculous questions about judge judgment. And uh, it's just become so ridiculous how uh, partisan these um these hearings are, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, uh, some of the hearings from the past and they, they have not been, I mean, the most, in the most recent past, they've been very partisan, but if you go back 20 years, they weren't like this. So it's just embarrassing to me. And I I just think it makes us look, uh, petty or, uh, uh, not really interested in justice, more interested in partisan politics and um, and gotcha uh, questioning. Yes. Um, JJ, um, uh, what have you seen about the uh, confirmation hearings and what are your thoughts? You know, David, I was, I was waiting for Lindsey Graham to ask the question, Judge Jackson, what time is it today? Right now in Dubai. I don't know. You don't know? What if you get cases involving Dubai? You won't even know what time to show up. You know, I mean, so I think that we, we have we've taken the ridiculous to the sublime and created a whole new category that hasn't been named yet. 
And my expectation is is that when you know that you have a 50-50 situation and you don't really have a 50-50 situation because you have Joe mentioned, uh, you know, I, I think that we, 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 we fail to take into account that Republicans are not coming at this. The Republicans are not coming at anything in the Senate uh, expecting that Kamala Harris is going to show up the way Mike Pence did and, and cast a deciding vote. Uh, Republicans in the Senate are, are showing up every day expecting that Joe Manchin will stiff the Democrats again, uh, and, they'll, and it'll, they'll, they'll have a, a majority of their own. Uh, so I, I think that when you look at it strategically, uh, it's easy to understand you know, why the Republicans are, were not stressing competence. Uh, I, I know a few things. One is that it, it took Mitch McConnell, the guy who campaigns in front of a Confederate flag, the same flag that was used to, as, a, as a rally and cry to attack the Capitol on January 6th, with a gun in his hand, uh, did anyone doubt that Mitch McConnell at the, at the first hour or the 11th hour was going to stand up and say, hey, look, I'm not supporting this one? I mean, so, so certain things that are substantially obvious, we need to stop thinking along the lines of, uh, oh, well, McConnell might be a decent human being. McConnell, McConnell <laughs> might decide, <laughs> you know, McConnell might decide to do the right thing. It, it's not happening. You know, you, you, you've got a guy in, in Manchin. Why did it take Joe Manchin until the 11th hour and 58th minute to decide that he was going to go ahead and, and, and support Judge Jackson? I mean, these are, these are things that, that are game changers in every aspect. I mean, I, I, I note at Harvard Law School, the Harvard Law Review, Judge Jackson held the same position on the law review as Justice Stephen Breyer, Justice Felix Frankfurter, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Elena Kagan, Justice John Roberts, Justice Antonin Scalia, and several others, all of whom were just fine for everybody from uh, Joe Manchin to Mitch McConnell. But when you have these same characteristics – these same qualities, these same uh, credentials being presented by Justice Jackson, then you, you, you get what you get. You know, so uh, I, I think that we've just gotten ourselves to a point where uh, we have to recognize uh, that they're, they're bipartisan anything at this stage of the game is, is, is simply no longer possible. Yes, and I just saw this morning um, – that you know, if you average about five different polls that have polled on um, whether Americans uh, believe that Ketanji Brown Jackson should be confirmed, that 53% of Americans support her, 26% of Americans oppose. That's a net 27% popularity rating. That would make her, um, I guess, because I guess maybe her she's more known um, as well, but that would make her the most popular nominee since at least. John Roberts. So the American people are sure. with confirming her. They feel she's qualified, and so therefore I think the Republicans really – they can do their performance, but it seems to not be gaining them any popularity either. It just gives them fodder to be mocked on The Daily Show and you know, elsewhere all across you know, the political media that um, points these things out. And so that's going to be an issue. 
Well, let's change over to another topic, still yep. kind of regarding the Supreme Court, but a little bit differently. Um, Clarence Thomas, um, his wife, Jenny Thomas, is, seems to be quite conservative, much more of a conservative activist than even he is, but I guess part of that could be due to his position on the Supreme Court um, is a bit different. But she um, took that to new levels uh, in, in reports that we found out the last week where she actually texted uh, Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and told him, you know, pretty much by any means necessary, do anything um, he can to overturn the election. Inserted herself in a way in which, um, you know, I guess no spouse of a Supreme Court not, uh, justice has ever been on record as doing at least before because we really haven't had many surreal situations like January 6th. Um, Catherine, what are your th uh, thoughts on the reports that have come out about Jenny Thomas? Well, somebody needs to demand that he recuse, that Clarence Thomas recuse himself from any uh, decisions uh, around the January 6th insurrection, number one. And I guess it's Roberts that has to um, ask for. Or I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how that works. How recusal works, but it needs to happen. And I mean, honestly, it's time for him to go. But you know, that's not up to anyone but him. But him, really, unless he does something. Unless we discover that he's done something wrong, and not just his wife. But she's. I mean, I'll be honest. I just think she's a horrible individual, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I'm. It's shocking that she's married to a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> yes, in, I mean we got the other aspect. Go ahead, JJ. I was saying, what other aspect of corporate America, political America, any part of America would would the spouse of a a, a senior 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 executive be permitted? To make these kinds of actions uh, without response, you know, without repercussion. I mean, it just it just it, it makes absolutely no sense. If if a when um, August Bush, when Bush owned, when Bush actually owned Budweiser, when Augie Bush's son ran over somebody and, and while he was in college at the University of Arizona, uh, and and that almost that situation almost brought down, at the time, the America's largest brewer. And, and, it, and the case went on for a long time before it got resolved. But the, but the bottom line is, again, there are implications to the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice taking political positions in cases that have the absolute potential to appear – before the United States Supreme Court, the arbiter of, of all constitutionality with respect to uh, pending legislation or, or past legislation, the, the arbiter of all constitutionality in, in every respect of, of any government action, administrative or, or legal or legislative, I mean, it, it just takes this to a whole new realm. And, and – I, I fault Merrick Garland for this. I fault uh, I fault the January 6th committee for this. Uh, I fault anybody who doesn't recognize that 
there, there is no difference, none, no difference at all between 15,000 people storming the Capitol and the wife of a Supreme Court justice conspiring with the president's chief of staff. There, there's simply no difference, and they should both have been be treated accordingly. Yes, it was just you know pretty shocking how activist she can be, and then just total disregard for the law uh, in this case, um, and just so you know zealous um, in the way she approached this. Well, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I did find out. I guess Catherine, it's Oscars night, correct? Yes, it is. So we cannot okay. go over. It starts at eight o'clock. Uh, well, exactly right. And, and, and the last thing I was going to say, um, uh, Catherine, any any thoughts or predictions that you want to share on the Oscars? I have not. I don't think I've seen any of the movies. All I can say is, as I've watched the red carpet while we've been just with the sound off, there's lots of red dresses. Well, okay, for whatever that's worth. Hey, I, I guess I got one up on you. I know I've seen a coda. Which was on Apple, excellent movie. So, um, uh, yeah, I've seen that. So, that I'm one up on you there. Good, that that's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Um, JJ, uh, since you're our guest, uh, any thoughts on the Oscars you want to share? Don't feel like you have to. Well, I had dinner with a guy named Oscar on Tuesday last week, and he said he wasn't even going to watch. So, it's, I figure if he's not watching, why should I? So. I actually do have a friend <laughs> who's nominated for best screenplay uh, for Don't Look Up. So I'm kind of excited to see if he he, uh, wins. That would be fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, Well, well, Anna, it didn't didn't work correctly, but but, but, uh, next week we'll not be on. We'll be on hiatus, and then we'll come back the second week in April. But, J.J., we want to thank you for uh, coming on the show. If there's anywhere that uh, folks can read you, follow you on social media, anything you want to share, do that now. The, my Twitter account is uh, JJAT, JJ at OU Poli Sci. And so that, that's the best way to catch me. Uh, I, don't, uh, I try real hard not to uh, maintain other social media accounts. I did when I was working uh, for the Biden campaign, and it got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so, so I, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the real quick story is I, I had this I, – I had a Twitter account where I used to put up these Hollywood signs that, that said nasty things about everybody from Joe Manchin to, you know, to any Republican, any other Republican, I should say. And, and so uh, at, shortly before, after the campaign was over and, and before, you know, before Inauguration Day, I, I got a call from, uh, from Ron Klain who at uh, 2 in the morning, and he said to me, he said, are you the sign guy? And I said, what are you talking about? And he screamed in the phone. He said, are you the sign guy? <laughs> I said, uh, I could be. <laughs> he said, we're trying to avoid controversies, and you're trying to create it. He said, if that account isn't gone by 7 a.m., you are. <laughs> <laughs> so it got me in too much trouble. So I leave it, I leave it to, uh, to the JJ at OU Poli Sci right now, and, and from there you can usually know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try to share that on a, a Twitter um, tweet here in a little bit. But uh, thanks for coming on the show, and for tonight, that's the Kudzu Vine, everybody. Thanks a lot, everyone. Good night. Good evening. Good night. We 
we are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for 